Hi, everyone. I'm Aaliyah Kemet, and welcome to Phenomenal Grit, career conversations for women of color. It's time to get intentional about why you are here. This podcast is all about winning, winning at work, winning in your career, and finding happiness and joy in the process. Each episode, I'll either be talking to an amazing and inspiring guest or sharing stories and lessons from my own personal career journey. It's time to invest in you with you. Let's get into it. You know how much I love to celebrate women. This is what we do here. We honor, celebrate, throw flowers, uncover lessons and pearls of wisdom. And boy, do we have some for you today. This is a conversation with Carla Trotman about her journey from corporate America to embracing entrepreneurship and the legacy of her family business. Carla mentions an article in our conversation, and I'll put the link in the show notes. It cites that 50% of multicultural women were thinking of quitting and leaving corporate careers. That really resonated with her. Many years ago, she leveraged her experience in business, which extends to supply chain, logistics, purchasing, global scheduling, and e-commerce, and a lot more where she served in key roles for companies to include Honeywell, Gap, and Ikea. And she did just that. She left corporate America. She's a two-time business owner. Her first business, Belly Button Boutique, garnered her national recognition. Today, Carla is the president and chief executive officer of Electrosoft Incorporated, an electronics manufacturing and engineering firm. She is a CEO national board member for multiple professional and community organizations, and is regarded as an influential woman in manufacturing. Carla's a mother, wife, conqueror of challenges. She's a force. Her decision to focus on growing her family business, Electrosoft, is rooted in giving her family a legacy her grandchildren can eat from. Enjoy the conversation. I'm so glad to have you here on Phenomenal Grit. I feel like I see you every day. I know, right? <laughs> we haven't seen one another in years. It's been a long time. It, so last it's time we saw each other was in New York at Hamilton. We did. That was so funny. Yeah. Yes. That was, oh my goodness. Can we go back to Broadway, please? Yeah. Yeah. I heard that they were opening back up. Did you hear that? Yeah, in the fall. Yeah, I'm excited. And then I heard there's a rumor, I don't know if it's true, that Lynn manuel Miranda is going to come back to Hamilton. Well, he should. he should. I think that would make everybody come back, right? Yeah, I think all of them should. Mm-hmm. We'll yeah. be there. I'll be there. My eldest, <laughs> he, he hated it because I made him go. My youngest went twice and he loved, 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 loved it. So, so he's the one who wanted to go, your youngest. Mm-hmm. And your oldest didn't, he didn't want to go. At all. Mm. Well... I've only been once and I'm trying to go again. So I will absolutely go. Yes. Anyway, look, so I was so excited to talk to you. And then I'm like, I had a million things to talk to you about. There is so much richness to your story and to your journey and just your life and everything you're doing. There's a couple of things I really want to hit on. There's just so many topics, but how are you doing, first of all? I'm great. I'm just so happy for you. I'm like, girl, you better start setting Google alerts for yourself because <laughs> I mean, even when I started seeing those McCormick commercials, I'd never paid it. They were like so bland before. Oh, now it's like the, all the richness of color and mm-hmm. people in it. And they actually tell a little story in it. And you're like, how it's a part of your home 
it's always been a part of my home. I don't know yeah. the other. There were Larry's and then yeah. you know, all the McCormick spices and those little red and white containers that they used to have the little tin ones. Oh yeah. Take it back to the mm-hmm. tin. Yeah. Well, yeah, we did a little bit of transformation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm loving it, but I mean, you know what? We have to celebrate each other because it was so funny because you're like, oh, you're killing it. I'm like, you are killing it. You are amazing. <laughs> you're on the cover of billboards and on, yeah. on boards yeah. and CEO and just running things. I really wanted to dig into kind of how you got here because it was a bit of an unconventional journey. Although I think if you think about legacy, maybe it was all meant to be, you know? Yeah, my dad, uh, it was meant to be. <laughs> it was, your, your dad would say it was meant to be? Yeah. Yeah, but you didn't you didn't know it. So I, before we get into, you know, Electrosoft and how you came to be at the helm, I would love to understand just a little bit about your corporate journey and what it was about corporate America that made you say, you know what, maybe it's time for me to do something different. Mm-hmm. I remember when I met you. Mm-hmm. at the corporate office at Ikea and you invited me to go lunch with like all the black people <laughs> in the office. I sure did. Do you remember this? I did. I, I did. Yeah, I do. And this was like a regular thing. And yeah. I remember, we did, I, I don't think I went a whole lot, but I remember being like, well, this is really cool because I wasn't seeing any black people. Right. Certainly Back then at the beginning, there were very few yeah. and we were spread out all over the company. Right. And I felt like you were kind of bringing us together. Yeah, because I think we were having similar experiences, but in different parts of the building, different parts of the organization. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I know that where I was sitting, it was like, it's hard to be the one and only or, the, mm-hmm. or one of two And it just felt like family when we would all get together and talk and and it was a rare occurrence, but I felt like it was needed. I know I needed it. That's why I I said, let's go. Let's do it. No, I needed it too. Yeah. And I think that was the first time I had really had that experience with a black person, let alone a black woman who was like, you know, come over here, come with us. I see you. I understand what you're going through, even if you don't actually say those words. Yeah, you needed it. it was because of the organization. It had its own culture that was very counterintuitive to our culture as black people. I felt that it was nice to touch and agree every once mm-hmm. in a while. So you don't feel lost in that environment. Mm-hmm. We know that we don't show up as ourselves all the time in those types of working environments. But it's nice to know that you're not alone in that. Right. Exactly. I got joy out of those moments. Mm -hmm. You were on a trajectory, I would say. You could have stayed in corporate America and done your thing, but you obviously decided not to. Right. And I know you you launched a business Mm -hmm. when you were pregnant. Mm-hmm. Or after you were pregnant, after you had the baby for women who were struggling with pregnancy. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Right. So I I always had all of these business ideas and I never did anything about it. And I had very difficult pregnancies and my background in supply chain logistics. So I was able to identify suppliers all over the country and world for that matter who had products for women who 
were going through what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And because of that background, other people started asking me a lot of questions. And at the time there wasn't a, you know, Facebook group for pregnant women who were uncomfortable. It was in existence. It just wasn't popular. And I would go on these discussion boards because I was up with my little boys at night and see these women that were pregnant and uncomfortable. And so I, that's where the idea kind of came up mm-hmm. to, but I had this job, like it was not going to be a salary replacement right? <laughs> at all in the beginning. It was just to help other women. And then it took off on its own where I was at celebrity gifting suites in LA and for like Golden Globes and wow. television and then magazines. And I remember seeing you on TV. It was like, okay, you went from side hustle to this. Yeah. <laughs> it became a, a thing. And, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes when you don't set out for it to be something spectacular or big, and it grows into that. You have two choices to like put the end time and energy into it or not. And I just didn't. I just at that point, my kids, by the time it got to the point where I need to make a heavy investment, I mean, I'm a business person. So I looked at there's no tea leaf reading. It's really let's look at the marketplace. Let's look at this, mm-hmm. look at that. The marketplace was dictating that people were going to want their packages faster than I was able to ship them. Okay. Because of Amazon Prime. Amazon. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that I had, my kids were like six and eight or eight and 10 or something like that at mm-hmm. that time that I decided to not do the business anymore because I was really not into pregnancy stuff anymore. I didn't want mm-hmm. anything baby. I was throwing everything baby oriented into the like garbage or giving it away. Mm-hmm. And I at the time had moved to my family business and I saw that needed all of my attention. Like okay. it could not be this and that it had to be only this. And because there was just too much at risk for me to not play a full hand in that round. So I, did you leave the corporate environment after you launched your business before you went to the family business? Yeah. So I was there a period I launched the business while I was still in corporate. I left corporate, still was running the business and joined the family business and still running my both at the same time. And the call to get rid of the other business because I was not willing to put the investment in the time. And I just was disinterested after Mm -hmm. Um, I was tired. Mm -hmm. I was like, did you sell the company? Did you do this? And I probably could have, and people had asked, but I just did not at the time with the being young and with the corporate or the other, my company feel like doing a due diligence behind it. I mean, it's, there's a lot in preparing a company for sale. And I just didn't think that in the end it was worth that much money because I was, I was the brand. Right. And so once you are the brand, I knew that just from being a business person, Mm -hmm. you can't just like walk away and expect it to survive. There's certain things that were usually built into it, like earnouts or that you can mm-hmm. keep working in the business. And I didn't want to be tethered. So, and then I didn't want anyone to destroy what I had built. So I just right. closed it. It's Take weird. your baby and right. it closed turn it into something died. else. Like, what right. is this? <laughs> Not the baby dying, but the, the business died, shut it down. And, and also at the time, part of the premise of the business, why it was successful is because I worked with other moms who developed products, but didn't have distribution mm. um, background or ability or the financing for it. And I didn't want to ship anything. So 
I was pretty much the middleman who had curated a storefront and all of these other mom owned businesses were shipping the products out to the customers that I brought to them. Right. With that type of visibility, a lot of these companies went on to like target and Mm -hmm. at the time babies are us when they were around and some were on Amazon. Now, a lot of them are on Amazon now and you can't compete with Amazon. I don't know. No. (laughs) And I didn't, and I knew that you know, right away so that whenever I would have a product that went on Amazon, I knew that I needed to start looking for other things. So if that's what you want to do in life, and I just, to me, I like a bigger bang for my buck. Mm-hmm. And I wound up just closing it and being in the family business. Was there a moment before you went to the family business that you thought about staying in a corporate environment? I always wanted to be in a corporate environment, but There's just so many elements to it that I found were not really me or not suited for the person that I was at that point in my life. Mm -hmm. And I'll name a few. One was I always felt like at some point your manager feels like they're in competition with you, Mm. Um, especially if you are one that can execute things, you make them look good or you point out things that they may not have seen. It's never a good thing. And not mm-hmm. in, in my industry, it's never been a good thing because most of the time you're the first black woman that's ever worked under them because it's very much a white male environment. Yep. And so that never, and this happens at a couple of businesses. You know, I've heard that from a lot of black women. Yeah. That's not abnormal. I mean, I've heard that a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I knew that I knew that people were getting, you know, hurt feelings Then <laughs> a black woman tell them like, yeah, I think you're, I think your Kanban system calculation is off. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? And you're like, well, I recalculated it based on seasonality. And I think this is what it should be. And then it's like, well, fine, fix it. And then you fix it and it works. And nobody says, good job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you you tell them like something like this needs to be done continuously. It can't just be mm-hmm. a one-time thing. And yeah, it was just, uh, you know, I felt like they were making things more difficult than they needed to be. Mm. And also my family, I've come from, I'm a third generation entrepreneur. My grandma yes. had a restaurant, my father had a business, my mother had a business. And so I've only known execution. I know that. Yes. If you don't get it done, it won't get done. Mm -hmm. I took that into corporate life and I was very much a person to execute and get multiple things done and had an idea of where I wanted my career to go. And I think one of my my manager at the time was like, yeah, well, I think you should do this instead. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like I was very clear on what I wanted to do. I think people say things like, I've heard this very similar. Well, it's going to take you this X amount of years. And you're thinking, well, maybe it'll take you X amount of years. Let me tell you. (laughs) But don't put that, don't paint that story for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, My first job out of college, I was in a distribution center for a major retailer and they were like the hot on and popping retailer at the time. And my manager said to me, well, get comfortable because I was in your position for six years. Mm-hmm. And that's, okay. Well, six months later, I was promoted. Yeah. To, and then I guess she made a stink. They had to create a level, like an intermediary level for her. Uh-huh. Because then she was, it was like uncomfortable right. for her. 
And she really made it that way. I was one of the first people they hired out of college at the time because they had always recruited from within or somebody would go to school while they were there. And then it was just different. So I was one of the first people that they hired outside of their normal sphere of whatever they did. And I was helping in HR. I was helping with recruiting. I was helping in distribution. Like I was going outside of my normal everyday responsibilities, putting in metrics, things they never had just so that I could keep track of my own staff. And when you do things like that, Mm -hmm. everybody don't like that. Mm -mm. So how many years did she tell you it was going to take? Six. So I can't believe you're saying this. I had this exact thing happen. Different words. The woman said, I got promoted. And someone said to me, this was not a manager, this was someone else, said to me, oh, congratulations on your promotion. It'll take you about six years to get to the next level. I mean, that gap between this level and the next level, it's just really wide. So I wouldn't count on, I ended up getting promoted again, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But like, how are you going to say that to a person with a straight face? Right. My problem was, how was my manager going Mm. to say that to me? Mm -hmm. And then be confident for me being confident enough that she was going to allow me to be promoted again. Yeah, no, it wasn't going to happen. No, sometimes you just, but I read a recent article and I guess it was, the article was written before COVID that 50% Mm -hmm. of multicultural women, mostly black women, I think it said, don't quote me on that, but let's just Mm -hmm. say multicultural women are considering leaving corporate America within three years. That was before COVID. I believe it. And and I was like, wow, I'm, I know I'm just not the only one. I know I'm unique in that my family had a business that I could work in. But I know a lot of mm-hmm. people who have family businesses that don't work there. But I, I was like, yeah, I could sit there and probably detail a list of reasons why. It's not exactly that whole inclusive <laughs> environment that they talk mm-hmm. about in DE&I. And I mean, I remember at that one company, that same company sitting in, a management meeting waiting for it to start and it was mm-hmm. summertime and everyone had come in and they were like, Ooh, look, we just got tan. They're, look how tan you look. Look how tan you look. Did you get sun? You were at the beach, blah, blah, blah. And then they go, you know, Carla, I'm almost as dark as you. Oh, stop right? it. And I said, okay, can we talk about something we all can relate to? Like, wow. This ain't it. Like, wow. This is not appropriate really, but those are the types of conversations I just, that's why, why you need those communities. That's why you need to be comfortable in yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Walk in because again, you're not your whole self, but it's yeah. exhausting. It is exhausting. And I, I'm going to see if I can look that up. What the, what the statistic is on black women or multicultural women leaving corporate America, because you see it happening. Mm-hmm. You see it happening and it's people treating you like you're either you're a unicorn or you're not that good. (laughs) That you were some hire that they made to for diversity. Right. And it's like, could it be that maybe you were qualified? Exactly. Or Mm -hmm. overqualified for that matter (laughs) for the position. And unfortunately, those who are doing the hiring aren't the ones that will be part of your support team. So, Mm -hmm. but I mean, that was years ago, but yeah, why I left 
there's a lot of reasons. I felt that I was treated unfairly mm-hmm. at times that my organization didn't see me the way that I wanted to be seen. Mm-hmm. And I did try to have conversations about it. Like with my manager at the time, it was just kind of like, you know, oftentimes it's fruitless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the, It's like a, we shall not be moved. You know, Carla, you say this is a long time ago. This is very relevant to today. So I'm really glad you're sharing it because I think that there's a lot of women who will relate to it. So yes, it's a long time ago for you and you're like moved past it and you're like have completely reinvented, but it is very valuable. Well, I hope so. My biggest thing is, and I was speaking to some sophomores in high school, sophomore young ladies, women of color yesterday. And I told them, I said, you need to get into this world, they were still doing summer programs. I'm like, you treat everything like this is the, one girl's name was Torin. This is Mm -hmm. the Torin show. Everyone Mm -hmm. else is a guest on the show. And, you know, you need to make it about you. You need to ask the questions you need to ask. You need to figure out what it is you Mm -hmm. want in your career. You need to see where you can find the tools that you need in order to be successful. And those are the things that I wish I had told myself, like I felt like I told myself, but now that I look back on it, I feel like now if I were to interview for a company, I wouldn't feel like I used to feel like, I hope they like me. (laughs) I hope I like them enough to spend all my time there. Right. Like Mm -hmm. that's really what an interview should be. Like they should be courting you and courting them at the same time. And as a black woman, that's how we should be courted in corporate America, that environment is inclusive of you. The, you know, everyone there should be honestly living the core values that they say that they live. The reason why you decided to even go there in the first place right? and then experience something different, which oftentimes happens. So yeah, I left because the core values didn't align with what everyone else was doing. I felt underappreciated. And then I was like, because I was running my business and I saw mm-hmm. how much money can be made in small business, like teeny, right. tiny small business. Mm-hmm. And then I saw my dad had a bigger small business. Mm-hmm. And I used to ask him like, well, why didn't you grow? He's like, oh, we always have the opportunity to grow. I just don't want to. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what do you mean you don't want to? You make all this money. <laughs> and then my life changed where... Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to read to my kids, leave work early, do vacation, not keep track of time and all that other stuff. And and that gave me the opportunity because with my manager telling me, no, we don't think you should do this. You should do that. You are the captain of your own life when Mm -hmm. you have your own business. And so the other part that excited me though, is when you have, when you're in small business or any, any business that's yours, your intellectual capital gets deposited into the company. When the company succeeds, you, you succeed, like you succeed Mm. on like internally, mentally, emotionally, it feels good. Mm -hmm. You feel like everything that you learned in life. And I got a lot out of working at these other companies and work and in school. And, and I even decided to go back to grad school while I was for my family business. My dad said, you don't need it. And I said, no, I know what I need. I need to go back to grad school. (laughs) I need to go and finish what I had started because I tried to go back years ago. Took a couple of classes. They did not even transfer. So I had to start brand new. 
And they said, you should be in the executive MBA program. Mm. You have all this experience. And I was like, no, no, I think I want like a real MBA. They're like, <laughs> it is a real MBA. Differences instead of being with people who don't have no experience. Yes. You're with seasoned executives right. who have had tons of experience and you're actually having conversations with professors and you're really, you're going to get more out of it than it just being some academic thing of, you know, study, take the test, write the paper. But- you became like the face of this MBA program. I mean, yeah. your picture is on billboards. You are really involved at Drexel. Right. And I just I hit on that just for a second, because I, I love to see your picture. On the <laughs> I was surprised. I was actually, I did not know that it was going to be that. I actually was just, I loved the program. I loved the school, the dean, all the deans that we've had in the past few years. Like we know them on first name basis. They traveled with us. When I graduated, like we took pictures in class. Drexel uses real people in their ads. Like they're not using stock photos. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a difference. I think people should know that uh, That's right. when they look at a school, like, is that stock photo or is that real people <laughs> having like actual real conversations in the classroom? And they do have real conversations in class and they take pictures of you while you're in class. And we were having a happy hour because when you're an executive program, you have happy hours. Oh. <laughs> and I was pulled out of the happy hour. They said, hey, they said to me, next time you come here for an event, another event, can we pull you out and take some pictures? I said, sure. And it wasn't just me, it was a couple of folks. And so I was like, you know, had wine glass in hand, put it down, stood on a table, took like 20 pictures and went about my life. Mm-hmm. A year later, someone said, hey, I saw you on the internet. I said, where? And a pop-up ad. I was like, what pop-up ad? And then they sent it to me. Go, oh, okay, that's really nice. And so all I knew was pop-up ads. I, they did tell me that. But I didn't know it was going to be billboards Oh, it's print. It was printed. Yeah. And somebody was reading the Wall Street Journal and it was like across the top of the Wall Street Journal. And I did not have any say in it. It maybe I don't know how those decisions are made. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know. Honestly, it was a lovely surprise. And my smile and how I feel about Drexel is honestly very, very real. And I wouldn't be on a member of the Board of Governors right now if I didn't have so much passion for the university. Yeah. I mean, you go back and you do, and you speak to the students and you support them. I think that's so powerful. So at Drexel, I do talk to the students. I participate as much as I can in Mm -hmm. program creation. The goal right now is engagement of the alumni to get them to come back and see what the school is doing. The school has been amazing projects and And they're just great professional alumni body. Right. So let's get into Miss President and Chief Executive Officer. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing, this was so sweet, when you got your father's parking spot. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie. I kind of teared up. I was (laughs) like, I'm like my tear up thinking about it. It was just so sweet. And then I'm thinking about, you know, Black people and having this generational passing down of something so significant as a business. I mean, that is truly how you build generational wealth. 
It is. I, I love that you had this corporate experience. I think it was all a part of your journey. Can you talk to me a little bit about when you got the parking spot and what that meant to you? Okay, so <laughs> it's funny. My company has probably employed most of my family at some mm-hmm. point through transitional periods, through whatever. My brothers work with me. I'd been running the company for three years before we actually did the transition of business. So when you were C- you were what, COO yeah. at that time? Yeah. Okay. And I think it was more for him to see if it would work, for me to see if, how it would work. So I did an acquisition while we were doing, you know, just see. If- I love that. Your father was like, no, nah, girl, you're going to work. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was really like, my thing is I was waiting for him to kind of bestow it upon me. Like you are now the president of the company and <laughs> never <laughs> happened. And I was, and I'm like a voracious reader of business books and social injustice books as well. But one of the things I remember is everyone thinks they want to be the CEO, but no one wants to do CEO because doing CEO is hard. I decided like, I, I want my dad to be able to see me as the CEO. Like I, I want him to be comfortable knowing that I, I did, he made a right choice. Right. So that's when I said, look, here's our strategic plan. This is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Our mission, our values, our, I sat with the staff. We went through all this. I did some reorganizing, changing things. And I just started doing, and mm-hmm. I ran past him more. So like, this is what I think we should do. And this is the direction I'm headed in. And he was like, okay. So I never like met, took him by surprise. So okay. when I also brought in a professional team to help with the transition, because we started talking succession plan. And I wanted him to see that my brothers were not the right pe- partners for me, mainly because I had so much experience. They did not, that we were all given the same things, but all of us did different things with it. And that it would not be fair for me to use all of my assets, my credit, my everything when they didn't have the same things. Right. And then split the proceeds. Well, it's about business at this point. Right. Like Mm -hmm. if somebody said like, we're partners, you put your house on the line, but then you write a check for 66% for us. It's just, that's not a partnership. Right. I love my brothers. I would never... They would never be homeless. They would never be begging for food. It wasn't like that, like I was trying to steal from them. What I was thinking was, this is not going to work out well because they will have voting power over me and mm-hmm. they will not be able to make the right decisions based on business because they don't have the same experiences. Girl, you was a queen. You were like, look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and I said to my my dad did not like it at first. Yeah. And I said, find a different way to make it equitable. And maybe that means I don't get something else. But yeah. I I just couldn't do it. Mm, I love that. You said find a different way to make it equitable. It doesn't necessarily have to be the business. There's other ways to do it. Right. My dad has yeah. other, my dad has properties and other things. Yeah. And he said, okay. And I didn't I don't know what that's gonna be. But also to think about this way, I had to pay for my inheritance. Yeah, This wasn't like, you know, mom and dad pass away and I get a check. This was like, you can't just, they show in movies, get a, get a business for a dollar. Like the business is now yours. Sign this paper and give your dad a dollar. So the transaction happens. Yeah. They were like the business is worth this on the low end and you need to come up with this on the low end. Like you don't have to pay 
you know. Well, we would pay to somebody outside. Right. Right. But you do have to pay. You have to pay by law. Yeah. I mean, and it's a lot of money. And I never Mm -hmm. asked a bank for a lot of money like that, thankfully, because like I said, it's based on your credit, your assets, Mm -hmm. your experience that I was able to get what I needed for the most part. Yeah. And make up the balance some other way that we, Mm -hmm. when you have a team, they come up with some ways Mm -hmm. to make up the difference. And and that's what we did. And so then, but my dad would come and still park in his parking spot every day. And I know that's right. <laughs> he was like, you, you the boss, you got the receipt, but that's my parking spot. But that's my parking spot. And I never made a big deal out of it. So for me, like leadership is highly symbolic, right? Yeah. So who am I to say, all right, now all mm-hmm. right, I'm in charge, move. And I didn't even care because it was a parking spot. My dad's over 70. What do I look like yeah. for a 70 year old man? You got to park somewhere else. <laughs> Right? I'm so glad you did not. <laughs> right? Who does that? And then yeah. his knee was bothering him too. So I was going to be like, uh, I need you to hop on over to the office from a different parking spot. No, girl. No. So I didn't care. And I just, I parked wherever. And he would come after me and park there. I left it open for him. Yeah. And then one day he said, because some days I knew he wouldn't, he wasn't coming in. On the days I knew he was not coming in, I would park there. Mm-hmm. And then one day he came in and he said, Hey, did you see your new sign? I was like, what mm. sign? He's like, your new parking sign. And so I got in my car as I was leaving and I saw it and it said Carlos parking spot or parking only. And I was like, Oh my gosh, she had my brother make it. Oh, and wow. put it in, in where it was posted. And it was just really kind of him to do that. So yeah, it was it was definitely the first time I felt like the business owner, mainly mm-hmm. too, because when I took over, like on paper, mm. three months later, COVID hit and I almost had a heart mm. attack. I mean, I was like, that's how look, that's how it always is for us black women. It's got to be hard. Right. It's gonna be harder. It's gonna be a mountain to climb. Mm-hmm. But we do it. Yep. And we make it better. It was, I was just like. Okay. I mean, I didn't sleep for a while once COVID hit because I was like, how am I going to do this? This is not a recession. This is not like we lost our biggest customer. This is not, oh, just do more business development. This is, this was like um, Greg Crabtree is an accountant that consults with the other CEO group that I'm a part of, other CEOs in the group. And he said, this is a restriction. Mm. This is us being restricted from doing business how we normally would do business. So it's un- unprecedented. Yes. But it doesn't mean you can't do business. It just means you're not allowed to do business the way you would. Do right. it. So that means the snapback will be easy and fast. Hopefully that was the, the thought. And that's why I planned 2020 to have six quarters instead of the normal four. And so right wow. now we are in the midst of Q6. 2020 in my mind, like in my plan, mind and my hope, according to my goals is by July, I can really start like a new year mentally turn the page, Mm -hmm. even though my accounting is a normal year. But I mean, for there's a psychological aspect to planning in a business. That's right. And part of that Mm -hmm. is planning for in your head of how things are going to go. Because when you see those cash flow statements, the P&L and all that, it does it, it will send warning flags if you feel like, oh my gosh, we're not hitting our numbers. Mm. 
especially when you compare them to previous periods. Mm-hmm. And so if you have in your mind that you're still in this restricted period, it and this is my, maybe I'm just psyching myself out, but it allows me to be more calm and yes. to make calm decisions instead of trying to like trying to right the ship by making a hard left. Right. So I just started putting money in marketing. And so I put a lot of money in creating another website, but not really like I needed some aesthetically beautiful website more so Mm -hmm. that had more analytic tools that allowed me to get more information and data on the type of customers. Then also do this whole build, rebuild the personas, buyer's journey, brand exercises. Mm -hmm. Then I decided to make a major investment in marketing, which we've never done. Um, Never. So how do you become largest black owned electronics and engineering firm in the country? Well, mainly because not a lot of people do what we do. It's expensive Mm. to do what we do. Like we have over a million dollars of equipment for Mm. automation. But my dad was he was a pretty successful engineer and computer scientist. He used to design blood analyzing equipment and write the software for it and run the manufacturing aspect of the company that was doing it. So he was pretty successful in that. And so when we did the work, I mean, back then, not that it was that far ago, but you had, mm-hmm. you were black and you had a business, you had to have a white person in the front office. That's right. Like he was the boss so that you could make some money. And and so you're thinking from like a sales perspective, perspective. and that mm-hmm. was, his business partner was a white guy who was that, but he never said like, I'm the boss. When people would come in, they would come to his office and say, oh, you know, we need to talk to the president. And he's like, that's the president. Mm-hmm. And so it was a success one block at a time. We're, I mean, we were mm-hmm. all 35 years old yeah. this year. We build a reputation. People don't come to us saying like, oh, we need a black owned firm. They yeah. are pleasantly surprised that we're black and now woman owned. Yeah. So it's. Yes. Wait. Yes. Flowers for Carla. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so awesome. But we were also veteran known because my dad was a veteran. So we lost okay. the veteran certification. We picked up the woman owned certification. I say all this not because it is hard as a minority owned business to use that whole MBE backdoor because hmm. I don't think it's really helpful. And mm. a lot of companies, like when you go in, you go on the, in this like graveyard, like a database that's basically a graveyard for minority owned businesses. Mm-hmm. And perhaps you might, if they think that they want to look in there, they might pull out some minority owned business. But I, it's like, do they have a supplier diversity strategy? That's really right. the question. And so we did not build this business with looking at companies that had a supplier diversity strategy. We went in just as businesses right? Like our other counterparts mm-hmm. would. And we've been successful doing that by the grace of God. And then on the back end, they're like, they find out that we are of color and yeah. it helps with the statistics that they have to keep for some of their government contracts. How many employees do you have? And I need you to, to tell us exactly what you guys make. Okay. So mm-hmm. there's 30 of us. So we mm-hmm. fluctuate because Coming out of COVID, unfortunately, we lost some women because mm. their kids needed to, they needed to be home with their kids. We're on online school and we did everything yeah. that we could, but it's the type of work that you have to show up every day to do. You can't like make your house an electrostatic discharge station. Mm. I mean, I guess you could, but you know, then we have these hot 
soldering irons around and they've got little kids and there's, you know, oh it doesn't make for a good thing. So, um, yeah, so we're at about 30 right now. What we do is I liken it to, um, like the Apple iPhone, Apple does not have any manufacturing facilities. Rather, they outsource their manufacturing of all of their products to a company called Foxconn in Asia. Mm-hmm. And Foxconn um, manufactures everything. They work with their design engineers and um, create the Apple products and build it. And they gave Apple a firm fixed price for manufacturing. And so they've outsourced that part of their supply chain to Asia, to Foxconn. They make the product and it's a B2C um, product. We're not B2C being business to consumer. Yep. We are a business to business manufacturer, just like Foxconn. Mm-hmm. And we work with design engineers to build industrial products and par- pro- stuff for the Department of Defense. And we focus primarily on kind of the same stuff as Foxconn. So our primary focus is on printed circuit boards, cables, wire harnesses, and enclosures. Mm-hmm. And those items are like the brain and central nervous system of any electronic device. And so that's what we do. I know it's like so obscure and it sounds like, well, who would want that? Well, think of anything you have in your house. Yeah. Electronic. Everybody needs it. Right. Like if you mm-hmm. had to build it and you were like, I can't build this, I need someone else to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's why we are able to be successful in what we do. Wow, that is really cool. And your father started that like 35 years ago? 35 years ago. I mean, originally it was the very thing that he knew what to do, which was design equipment, manufacture it and write the software. But our customers dictated that they needed more manufacturing support. And so that's what we did. We supported them with manufacturing. That is awesome. So when we started at the house, it was on the kitchen table and I I would um, cut the wires to help with manufacturing part of it. Now we have machines that do it, but then, and then my mom was like out the kitchen. So we went to the garage and then winter came and garages aren't insulated. So I would spend a lot of like my vacation days or home from school, actually at the little incubator space working on building things, building, I can Mm. do pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. That they do. It's not great. At least know how to read the drawings and yeah. interpret them. So I know enough to be dangerous, but not enough to really make an impact. I think it's interesting to build things. It's just something that I just didn't want to do for a career. I just had more interest in business and how business yeah. worked and how people made money. And and so I said, I'll take over the business, but only the business part. I'm not going to engineering school. <laughs> but it's no surprise to me that then when you were in corporate America, you had the type of work ethic that you had, that you were the person who is questioning and pushing, you know, when as a child, you were cutting wire and seeing the business from the kitchen table. Like that's the type of thing that builds mm-hmm. grit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think like, Colleges are really are build people. I say build people, but I guess they create one to want to be in corporate America and to try to reach the highest echelons of corporate America. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like this glorious, glamorous, glossy career. And it can be, I'm sure. I mm-hmm. didn't experience that. And yeah. I was a little disappointed in, I guess I, li- I lived it. I did what I Mm -hmm. thought I wanted to do. And I did the travel. I did the dress up and 
do presentations and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. It just was, it's kind of like, be careful what you wish for, Mm. right? Because it's sometimes not what you think it is. And, and I think just being around people who own their own businesses and saw the flexibility, Mm -hmm. because it wasn't just my dad. I had friends whose parents had their own businesses and I saw how successful you can be. And I saw what equity in a company looks like and flexibility Mm. in that compensation looks different to different people. Like compensation to me could be like, you know, the flexibility to spend a month in Paris. Like Mm -hmm. who can do that unless you have your own business? I guess you can. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, my dad took my mom on this incredible, I think it was about a month trip to Southeast Asia they were mm. in Vietnam and Cambodia. I think they were also in Singapore. Mm. And I want to say Thailand. I don't know. And they've done these amazing riverboat cruises in mm-hmm. Europe. Um, one day my mom called and I was like, where are you? She's like, oh, I have to go. I'm in Vienna. We're about to go to the opera. Who does that? Wow. Right? Who does that? Who looks like us? Right. You know, I mean, That's I know right. that there are those, but that is it's just powerful and inspiring. And it's not on Instagram. It's not like it's not. For you should tell your mother to get on Instagram. Right. Like <laughs> I would follow her. Right. Right. <laughs> like she is like, she is the goal. She's my goal. Like her life oh. is my goal. <laughs> yes. It sounds awesome. So do you think your boys would follow in the family business? I know it's it's hard to say they're at their age. I'm assuming that they will not. And so I, what I'm doing, thankfully in business, there's many things you can do. If I don't plan on selling the business because the beautiful thing is that my dad created a thing, a concept that his grandchildren are eating from. And so mm. to me, I feel like I want the same. I want to create something that my grandchildren can eat from. So I'm creating a family board. Okay, where the I again, huh? <laughs> Where's the parking spot? <laughs> <laughs> I just love that so much. And I think if more of us thought this way, after we're gone, what are we leaving? Yeah. You know, from our, yeah. for our families. Yes, I I agree. So I want to kind of wrap up with um, one key question. I've been asking a lot of women lately, which is how are you celebrating yourself? How are you taking care of you? During COVID, I'm not, but. Come on now, Carla. There's got to be something. I, so. I, you know what I did? I went to the doctor and she told me I needed to lose weight because my A1C numbers were too high. So what I did was that made me decide that I needed to focus on myself. And I wound up losing 25 pounds. So Wow. It's hard to lose weight at our age. It is. That's a lot. It is. But when faced with diabetes, I Mm. realized that there, it was not a, you know, so I had to take massive action and make it happen. And I feel like I have been celebrating myself, my new self, because I'm, I can move a lot easier. I'm not Mm -hmm. snoring anymore at night. I'm healthier and I just, I feel better. I think I celebrate Mm -hmm. the win over the weight and I celebrate the fact that I'm hopefully have beat this A1C war and, you know, hopefully I'll go back and travel again. That's mm-hmm. really my passion. I like to see yeah. actually going on a trip near you. I'm going to the black owned Salamander Resort. Oh, girl. Celebrate my girlfriend's 50th birthday. So now oh, yes. we're on the other side of vaccination and we are excited to get out and 
do that thing for a week. You have to let me know how it is after I, I haven't been there. You have to let me know. Have you been before? I have. Uh, oh, okay. you're like, yes, it's my spot. <laughs> it's my new spot. Like, it, okay. It's pricey, but I don't feel yeah. bad about paying the price. You do a lot of black owned purchasing, quite focused on supporting other black owned businesses. My husband's a black, is a, well, obviously he's black, but he's a business owner too. So, you know, when you're a business owner or your spouse or your family is, I think you have even a more heightened awareness of the importance of yeah. supporting other black owned businesses. I do it because it's not like I can have a huge supplier diversity strategy in the line of work mm. that I do. I feel like I'm spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and none of it goes into my community. And so right. part of it is that I can take my own resources and really spend that within the black community, within the Hispanic community, like within minority communities that were impacted, especially because such a huge divide in wealth. I feel hmm. like I've been blessed to be in a really great position and situation. And the least I can do is support other businesses because I was given the opportunity to continue the legacy of my family business. I hope that these other businesses turn into legacy businesses as well. Oh, girl, we're going to end on that. Thank you so much. I've just loved this conversation and I knew it was going to be powerful. Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. I love talking to you. This is so much fun. I, we could have done another hour, but right. we're not. <laughs> You've been listening to Phenomenal Grit, career conversations for women of color. And I'm your host, Aliyah Kemet. Please subscribe to Phenomenal Grit wherever you listen to podcasts, rate, review, and follow Phenomenal Grit on Instagram. No grit, no pearl. No pearl.